Last week we began this message series on relationships and we found that there are some things that we need to work at. Maybe you left last week and maybe you were reeling from the relationship that you're in. You're wondering, is there hope for me? Maybe you're married and you realize that you made some choices that you wish you wouldn't have and and now you have these issues that you need to work through. Maybe you're single and said, I'm never getting married. I don't know, maybe. I don't know. And maybe that is the case. God does call some people to singleness. But my hope is this, in regards to all that we talked about last week, that message number two today, we realize that we need to stop looking for that Mr. Right and Mrs. Right and start becoming the person that's looking for us. And so today, we're gonna go back to ground zero. We're gonna start and say, this is where I'm at. This is where God wants me to be, and there's hope for me. Because no matter how checkered my past is, no matter where my marriage relationship is, and no matter where I'm headed right now, there's hope for me, and God has a plan for my life which is very, very important. So hopefully today you'll walk away saying there is hope that God's grace is there for me. And not only there for me, but I have hope to make a decision today instead of just jumping into a new relationship and saying, I'm gonna go after this person or that person. I'm gonna become the best me that I can become. I'm gonna build a list that's lined up with God's word that helps prepare me to commit. And knowing that, that that commitment is more than I do, I promise, and I will. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean. And turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter eight. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. And I hope there's a group of men here that aren't holding up their hand. Romans chapter eight, and we're gonna read verses one and two. I hope you brought your hard copy Bible today if you're a, a man here today. Romans chapter eight, verses one and two. Let's read Romans chapter eight, verses one and two. Stand with me and we'll read it together. Let's read this out loud together. Romans chapter eight, verses one and two. Ready, read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Let's read that again, verses one and two. Ready, read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You may have a seat. Any amens to that? So today we're going to address that. We're going to start there and we're going to help you build upon that truth so that we can become the person that is looking for is looking for. And so that we're ready when that happens, instead of us just saying, I need to find someone. I need to go after that person. I need to look for them that we begin becoming. Number one, just set this out there today and regards to us and our past and where we're at today. We must see ourselves like Jesus sees us. That's important because if we don't get that one down, then our insecurities will rule our relationships and our insecurities will cause us to jump into relationships trying to find security. But the reality is this is 
that if you're reeling from the poor decisions of your past and you've wondered how in the world I can make good from this, hear me out. You just need to get a snapshot that when God looks at you, you're covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No matter how far you've fallen away, no matter how deep your sin, you are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so in order for you to become the person you are looking for is looking for, you must revisit and you and I must do it daily, the truths of the cross instead of thoughts like this that want to come from us, that Bible calls the father lies, that Satan wants to bring our way, that somehow God is disappointed and so frustrated with us that he's just tolerating you. God is not tolerating you. God loves you. And from the foundation of the world, he chose you. Like, if you hold on to that truth, that you are his child, and before you were born, and before the world was created, God saw the whole breath of your life, past, present, and even your future. And he saw every sin that you would commit. And he says, I still want you on my team. He chose you before you ever breathed a breath. How do I know that? Turn to Ephesians chapter one. Let's lay this truth of this foundation out. Paul said this to to the church at Ephesus to remind them. And he says this in Ephesians chapter one. Look at verses four through eight. Powerful truth. Like every single one of us need to read this at least once a week. Ephesians chapter one, verses four through eight says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be what? Holy and what in his sight? Blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And it says this, in him we have what? Redemption through his what? blood and the what of sins forgiveness in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he what on us lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding so think about this for a second today he adopted you before the foundation of the world that's an incredible truth in fact he is a long suffering God and his love for us. And it says that he continues to lavish his grace on us. There is no sin that God's grace won't cover. There is no past. There is no prior decision in relationships. There is no sexual sin. There is no choice that you've made in relationship with a man or woman that God's grace isn't lavished on you. Amen? Paul says, I want to remind you of that. And even that the word lavish means to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities above. In him, we have redemption through his blood. In him, we are forgiven of our sins as far as the east is from the west. I would say it this way. Just picture yourself right now. He has poured generous, extravagant, ridiculous, over the top of amounts of grace on our screw ups and sin. Amen to that. Like that's how God sees you and sees me. 
And so you might be thinking, man, after last week, I don't have a chance. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. Not because of anything that we can do on our own, but because of Christ's work on the cross. The cross covers it all and sets us up to win again. And that's what Paul is saying through Ephesians to us today. By the way, God will not, God has not, and God will never regret saving you. Never. He loves you, and his grace continues to be lavished upon you. You haven't surprised God with your sin and your choices. He does not sit around and bring up the sins of your past. The cross is is enough to cover your present and your past and your future sins. And listen to me also. You do not disgust God. He loves you. He doesn't sit around and say, I'm just disgusted. I want nothing to do with you. No. He says, that is my child. I love you. Here's some more grace. You are righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That should give you hope today. Yeah, praise God for that. In fact, he brags on you. And he says, this is my child. And he longs to meet you face to face when the rapture occurs. And he's going to say, welcome home. We love you. I love you. That's what grace does. It doesn't make sense. Like, why would any of us, why would anybody love us? When we turn our back, when we make poor decisions, if grace made sense, it wouldn't be grace. If we could compute it, grace is, you can't compute grace. I would say this is what grace does. You want a a relevant way? This This is the Jim Brown translation. You are not damaged goods that ends up in the clearance aisle at Walmart. You're not a two-for-one special. You're not the throw-in, buy two, get him free. No, you are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So what should be our response to that truth And when it comes to relationship? We must turn the page of our past and start fresh and say, here's what we should do. Just thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you don't hold this against me, that the work on the cross is still good today. Amen. We must turn the page then. We must look at this marriage right now that maybe we jumped in because of chemistry and attraction and say, why did I do that? And say, your redemption, your grace gives me hope. Your grace gives us hope. Your grace gives me hope to one day, Lord willing, to to be in a a Christ-centered relationship that is flourishing and thriving and pointing others to Jesus. And we can have the aroma of Jesus together. So what should be our response? What we need in light of that, we have to make some choices. And I don't know where you're at today. Maybe this is for those that, that are single right now. This is to those that are maybe single again. This is to those that, that are thinking about one day meeting someone. These are, this, this is for people that just came out of a relationship that you've made poor choices. Maybe last week you walked out of here and say, I need to have a heart-to-heart talk with him and her and 
We need to make some decisions. And by the way, there were those decisions made last week, and we, we are aware of those. There are people who left last week, and we praise God, and they're getting married next week. We praise God for that. We praise God for people making the right. There are people who are making decisions to separate for a while. We praise God for that. God's word will set us free because it's truth. So what should we do? If I screwed up, what should be our response? There's three things you should do. Number one, learn to tell your story because people will ask. If you made poor choices, if you have this checkered past, and you're saying, Lord, I want to get to a point that, I'm, that, that the person that's looking for me will, will look at me and say, I want what you have. The only way that happens, you have to learn to tell your story somehow. Because they'll ask. We don't want to lie about our past, but we have to learn to tell our story. Here's how not to tell your story. By the way, let me just give you a clarification. Jesus doesn't sit around and recall your sins in, in fine detail and tell everyone about them. He chooses not to remember them as far as the east from the west. You need a pattern? There's the pattern. The pattern is Jesus sees you. God and Jesus, you're covered with Jesus' righteousness. So you need to tell your story. It's not you, you, you meet this person, you say, I need to tell you my past. And when I was 16, I slept with her. When I was 18, I made this choice on a ship. And when I was 21 in college, I, I just hung out and I hooked up. And you go, to these, go through these illicit details. No, that's not how you tell your story. It's, it's, you don't need to tell that story like that. You don't need to go through every gory detail of your, of your putrid past. It's, it's not necessary, especially if you handed it over to God and, 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 and you've confessed it and you've moved on because it says already that Jesus and, and God and the Holy Spirit and the three of one have chosen not to remember them as far as the east is from the west. Here's how you tell your story. You say, there's a part of my past that I'm not proud of. And you know what? I made some choices that I'm not proud of. And I realized it. And you know what? I screwed up and I messed up and I made some choices in purity that I wish I wouldn't have made. But there was a day. There was a day I recognized it. And there was a day that I understood what God's grace was. And there was a day that I understood that his redemption and the work on the cross was good enough for my past. And there was a day that there was a turning point in my life And from that day forward, I made new choices. I want you to know that there is a past, but listen, I'm different now than I was back then because of Jesus Christ. That's the story you tell. There's no need to go through all the details, but like I said, Jesus doesn't go through all your details and keep telling everybody. You don't need to lie about it. So first thing you need to do is learn to retell your story. Secondly, You might not like this one, but if you just have come out of relationship, you're in a relationship, you've just divorced and you think, I'm in a position that I can remarry or or maybe you're, you're living in such a way that's not honoring God. Let me tell you what you should do. I recommend to you, secondly, that you should take a break from dating for a year. I said a year. Come on, Pastor Jim, I can't last without a year, without him on my shoulder or her on my side. Well, if you're basing your security on him or her, you have issues. You need to go back and read that, that, that you have your identity in Jesus Christ. Take a break. You can't become the person you are looking for is looking for until you stop looking. 
Take a break from that. Especially if you had a relationship that wasn't Christ-centered. Hear me out today. I watch it happen. And listen to me. Some of you, you just came out of a relationship like that where it wasn't healthy, it wasn't Christ-centered, it wasn't sexually pure, and you jumped into another relationship. Listen to me, listen to me. Mark my words, listen to me. You know who you are. There will come a day that you'll be in the same place in this relationship that you were in that relationship because you haven't addressed the issues. You've been attracted and you've had chemistry towards and you think, he's different, she's different. No, 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 okay, even if they were, you're not different. You're taking the same you into the next relationship. So take a break from dating. Become the person that God wants you to be. Here's the problem. You need rehab. But listen, everyone wants to skip rehab, don't we? We want to get back in the game as quick as possible. We, we break a leg. I got to get back in and play. We, 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 we mess up our shoulder. I want to keep throwing. And so what happens if you get back in the game too soon and don't complete rehab? You cause more damage. And some of you, you haven't dealt with the sin in your life. You haven't properly dealt with these relational issues that have scarred you. You haven't taken the necessary time to spend before Jesus and let the blood of the lamb wash over you. You haven't spent time in his word and learned what it means to find identity in Christ instead of a man or a woman. You haven't taken time to let him heal the wounds of that hurt and that imprinting that has taken place in your life. You think that if I'm okay, I need to rush through this rehab. Hear me out, please for that person out there that's becoming the person that could be for you, please take a year away from dating. Why? Because it's the proper amount of time to heal. I suggest you quit looking and start becoming. But let me tell you what's going to happen. Here's what happens. You might make that choice today. Here's what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen? In three weeks, four weeks, three months, six months, guess what's going to happen? Mr. Wright and Mrs. Mrs. Wright's going to walk into your sphere. And you're like, God, you gave me an out. No, he didn't. You're still not ready. Oh, I know. I'm not, no, there she is. She's perfect. He's perfect. Listen, you are not ready unless you walk through the full extent of the rehab where you are making yourself into the woman and and the man that God intended you to be. It takes time to heal. Please, for the sake of that God-created girl or God-created guy, just wait and build yourself into the person God wants you to become. So I would encourage you, take pause from dating. Let me just speak about dating in general. In our world today, somehow we have this view out there that if you're single and you're a young adult and you're not dating someone, there's something wrong with you. Or if you're a man, you need a woman. Like, is, is he dating anybody? Huh, wonder why he's not dating anybody. Probably because he's just seeking after Jesus Christ and he's growing and building himself into the man that God wants him to become. 
She's not dating anybody. What's wrong with her? I can't imagine. wonder what her problem is. We see people in our world like, must be something wrong with her. No, maybe just maybe she's taking and soaking in God's word and she's becoming. And the reality is maybe just maybe the person that she's looking for is looking for isn't out there yet. There is nothing wrong in just sitting in the presence and growing in the the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong at all with that. It's one of the things my wife and I have encouraged our children, as many of you have. I said, you don't need a girlfriend. You don't need a boyfriend just to be by your side to be accepted or to be in the in crowd. Just keep chasing after Jesus. In fact, you've heard me say this, but men, just keep chasing after Jesus. Run as fast as you can after him. And if you look to the right and there's some girl running as fast as you are after Jesus too, stop and introduce yourself. That's the one you want. Can we as Christians, like seriously, as Christians, mature Christians, quit looking at people who aren't dating, who are Christ followers and think there's something wrong with them? Maybe we should be saying, Praise God, finally, someone sees this next step. By the way, I would say it's the second most important decision you will ever make is to marry someone outside of coming to Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Why do we rush into that? Amen? Thirdly, I encourage you to do this. Get yourself ready for that person out there. Here's the problem though. People don't give up what they are currently doing until they are convinced what they are currently doing is an obstacle to where or who they want to be. You must become intentional about this because you could miss out on that man or woman who's looking for the kind of person that you are. Because truthfully, if you don't prepare yourself, they're going to look at you and say, you're not what I was looking for. Well, I'm I'm six months in, I'm three months in. Wait till I'm 12 months. No, no, you want to jump in. You want the rehab. You want to start running the marathon before your body is healed. No, no, no. You need to heal yourself of that. I would say it this way. How do you do that? How do you you prepare yourself? How do you get ready? You must pre-decide every time you need to say yes or no before it happens. That's wisdom, by the way. So, you meet someone, they meet you, you're attracted, chemistry flies. It's like art appreciation, like I said last week, it's not meant to be looked at from a distance, you want to get closer. You get closer, what happens? You're by yourself, it's like there's attraction, there are two magnets that attract, you want to get closer, you want to get closer. And if you don't pre-decide that if there comes a point where, where I am tempted to take this farther, if you don't predecide that when that happens, the Bible says, flee sexual immorality. If you don't predetermine, if you don't walk into this room and the first thing you do, where's the exit doors at here? There it is. If this happens, that's where I'm going. If you don't predecide and you don't look at her and say, hey, if there comes a point where I'm feeling tempted, if I just take off running, I just want to let you know what happened, okay? Like, why don't we talk about stuff like that? If you don't predetermine, let me tell you, you will fall. So pre-decide whether you're going to say yes or no. Don't make the decision in the heat of the moment. Let me tell you what happens. You don't make a good decision. Hear me out today on this. 
Rewrite your story starting today so that one day you can say this. Listen to me. This is what you want to say. There was a day that everything changed for me. A day I realized the path I was on was wrong and I started to become the person I am today. And then you can say this to that person one day. This is what you want to say. The day I dated with you in mind, everything changed. The day I predetermined to have self-control and to walk in the spirit. The day that I made Jesus number one. The day where I put aside my childish ways, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 11, and I acted like a man or an adult or a woman. There was a day that I decided, hey, I'm going to live in accordance and become the person I'm looking for is looking for. I had you in mind. Don't you want to give that gift to that future spouse? Becoming your list and becoming this person increases the opportunity for you to find the person you are looking for is looking for. Let me bring it home. Share my personal journey. As a young adult, I was following after Jesus Christ, was sinning and falling and growing and just this normal sanctification process. I was leading a college and career Bible study, much like the pursuit. Myself and another young man were leading it and we were given the leadership responsibility and realized there was a lack in our area for young adults to meet. And so we started called College and Career Fellowship. And you've, some of you heard brief story when we just met my mom's and my stepfather's backyard and we began meeting at parks and we realized there was a need there and I was cast into a leadership position with another man and we worked together and, and the Lord just blew that ministry up. And by the time we were done, it grew to about 300 singles. And, and the Lord just, there was a need there. In the midst of that journey, there was a girl that came home from college. She joined us during the summer months. And I saw her and got to know her. She got to know me and shortened the story. There was a day I asked her to marry me. We were engaged. Thinking this was the person meant for me. And She and I, I was going to go to Grace College. She was a Grace College student, and we were going to pursue ministry together. The ship was sailing its course. The train was on its tracks. It was headed in the direction that I assumed was God's will, and she did too. In the spring of that year, she let me know that she wanted to break up the relationship. Devastated, you bet. Hurt, you bet. Thought I had never felt pain like that before. So we went our separate ways. I had to make a decision. Lord, do you still want me because I felt a call to ministry to go on to Grace College where she was at? Made another hard decision that I would go to the campus where she was a student. So I made that decision after prayer and fasting, took a weekend of prayer and fast and seek God, wrote down the pros and the cons and sought God and and individuals and made the leap to Grace College. I was about four months into that process. I go on Grace Campus. I'm trying to take, knowing that I'm at a place where I can't date. I'm not ready. I was mature enough at that point to say, you know what? I don't even want to have anything to do with girls. I I knew that I needed to rehab. I knew that I hadn't dealt in the proper way. 
about four months into that, I'm a freshman at Grace College. I walk on Grace Campus, and I see this girl in this white sweatshirt with the Michigan State green S on her sweatshirt. And there was Ann. It's like, God, what are you doing? I wanted to wait. And I was like, and to be quite honest, in my mind, rehab was over. (laughs) But it wasn't. So Ann and I got to know each other. We ended up in the same circle of friends, and we had about 10 or 12 of us. I was wise enough, I would say, maybe wise enough, smart enough, or dumb enough to know that I wasn't ready. We got to know each other, and we began spending time with each other, and we had common interests, and, and we laughed at the same jokes in Intro to Bible. She was passing, and I was failing Intro to Bible. We had, it's like, Lord, you want me to be a preacher? It was just... We would laugh at the same things, and I realized this relationship was growing. We were spending time together. But I knew I still needed to heal the pain. I didn't know how, 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 how deep the pain was. We went to a basketball game at Grace College. We're sitting in the stands. This is about four months later, five months later, four months later. It's halftime, and this guy gets down, and one of our friends, and he's proposing to his girl. Like he's proposing, he's asking her to marry him. It was beautiful, if you were anybody but me. I remember sitting there, and everyone is cheering, clapping, and excited. And this couple went on to get married. And I was seated in this crowd, and this wealth of emotion was trying to make its way out through my eyes and my mouth. And it was pushing its way up. And if I could have crawled through the bleachers and snuck out, I would have. Everyone else was excited. And all this emotion that that I was rehabbing, that I hadn't completely processed, had made its way out because I kept stuffing it and pushing it down. It came out. And I just began to sob. Now, let me tell you, it wasn't a very pretty sight. And the pride in me as a man, I was ticked at myself. Brown, get it together. And then I realized, like, I don't want her, white sweatshirt, green Michigan State girl, to see me like this. And all this emotion that I had stuffed came out. And it's something I'll never forget as long as I live. This hand came down on my shoulder of this girl that I had just gotten to know in four months. She reached behind, in the bleacher behind me, and put her hand on my shoulder, and it was Ann. And I felt healing like I've never felt before. And it was in that moment right there that I knew, I'm ready. I'm ready. God had completely healed my broken heart. And I think back on that. I would have robbed not only God, but my future wife of the opportunity to see me at 100% emotionally. So I say to you, some of you want to rush on to that next relationship. You want to jump right in and you want, you want because you, you just came out, listen to me, let God do his work of healing in you before you jump into that next relationship. Why? Because it is worth it. And to do 
anything else causes us to date and marry because of chemistry and attraction only. And we often end up in what I would call chemistry experiences that have gone bad in marriage. And I would call them Franken marriages. And they're everywhere. It's just chemistry going bad. Oh, you make my heart go like this. Oh, let's get married. Instead of taking the proper time of becoming before you start looking. Another thing, why would you ever expect more of someone else than you're willing to do for yourself? Start becoming the person that Jesus intended you to be and tell the person who is looking for you that you had them in mind when you change your ways. Okay, how do you build that list then? How do you become... Let me give you some practical steps. These are very practical. I'm going to give you two, what I would call non, non, listen to me, non-negotiables. Okay, repeat that with me. Non-negotiables. Like, listen, if, if these two, like, you don't get to three, four, five, six, seven, and eight unless one and two are there. Here's the first non-negotiable of building your list, looking for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. They must be born again. Now, now, now listen, not just that, listen. But thriving in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Because people get saved and, and they walk through all places. But listen, you want to make sure that they, they got Christ at the center, center. Their security is in Jesus. That, 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 that they're growing in Christ. They have daily time with him. They're hungry for him. Not just, well, they go to church. Yeah, there was a time, I, their family, their family, what church did they go to? I don't know, that, that church, you know, down there. You don't want to jump into a relationship where the guy says, you know what, I'll go to church with you because you go to church. Make sure they love Jesus Christ. They're unashamed of their faith. Not just born again, but unashamedly loving Jesus. The second non-negotiable. And I'm serious about this. I mean this as gently and as gracefully as I can say it. Make sure they're from the opposite sex. Now hear me out. Now I say this with as much grace as I can, and I'm going to try to say this with as much grace as I can. I would rather you choose to be single than live against the commands and the will of God in the Bible. Genesis 2.24 says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. God's picture in scripture is one man and one woman. He, to choose otherwise is to turn our backs on the word and will of God for our lives. Now hear me out, please. Listen to me. Some of you have no idea how much of a struggle it is for people that are tempted towards the same sex. Hear me out, please. And you say, I I just don't get it. I don't understand. How can they be attracted to the same sex? Well, let me tell you something. Sin has the ability to twist truth. Sin has the ability to pass down generational sins that are imputed to the next generation. And when that child grows up, they have a propensity to sin. Like all of us do. 
And so every day there are these people right now and God can redeem that and God can renew that. But there are people that you don't understand, but listen to me, they wake up every day with this temptation to get close to someone of the same sex. It is a challenge for them every day. But listen to me, please hear me out. To those of you that do, I am sorry that you struggle with this. But listen to me, please listen to me. Just because you're tempted doesn't give you permission to follow through and entice the sin and sin. Listen to me. Let me help you understand. There are even couples and men and women that are married that are tempted to look at other women, tempted to look at other men of the opposite sex. They're tempted and it happens. And and some, some even have adulterous relationships. Listen to me, just because you're tempted doesn't give you permission to follow through. Let me pull away and say this to those that are in both categories. Temptation is not a sin. It's the follow through and the acting upon the temptation that's sin. Here's what it means though, please hear me. Just gently, let me me hold on to this thought. It might mean this, that you have to go the rest of your life struggling with that temptation. You might have to go to your deathbed being tempted in the area of the same sex, but hear me out. For the cause of Christ and the testimony of Jesus, it will be worth it to say no. Because one day, one day, listen, please, please, one day you and I will stand before Jesus Christ and to hear the words, well done, it will be worth it. So please, for those of you who want to just throw bombs at people that, well, I can't believe they're attracted to the same sex. I can't believe that, that, that they think those thoughts. Listen, how about you thinking your thoughts to look at another woman and another man? That's a temptation too. And you can't act upon that. So the non-negotiable is this. Please, Make sure it's someone of the opposite sex or remain single. Thirdly, make sure your parents, if they're born again, please hear me out, and saved. If you don't have born again or saved parents, make sure your closest born again friends and colleagues approve of this person. Listen to me. I mean this with all of my heart. If mom and dad don't approve, then that should be a yellow and even a red flag for you. If your brother or sister don't approve, if your accountability partner doesn't approve, that should be a red flag for you enough to pull away and ask God, is this the one for me? It's negotiable, but make sure you get their permission. Fourthly, make sure they have a similar calling. If you have a heart for missions, etc. Make sure that they have that calling too. Don't give up your calling from the Lord and not follow that calling because you are attracted and you have chemistry towards this person. If God has called you to something, he will supply you with the person to complete that mission. Let me give you an example. There was a time in my life that God placed the calling on my life 
to be involved in ministry. And he spoke through a godly friend of mine. I didn't quite frankly see it in myself. And this brother spoke to me and he said these words I'll never forget. He said, Jim, when you talk, people listen. I think you ought to pursue ministry. It was the first time in my life that someone had spoken to me at a pizza hut across the table. Those words were so powerful in my life. Because often God speaks through a messenger to get the word to you. And I knew that I was called to ministry. And so I began this journey to go to Grace College. And, and, and Anne will tell you, she says, Jim, there was a time in my life when I was in Mexico City and around that time she spent a year in Mexico City. Between her freshman and sophomore year at Michigan State, she went to Mexico City for a year and then she transferred to Grace College. She said, there was a time in my life that I felt the call of God to be a pastor's wife. Listen, when two callings collide and there's a Michigan State sweatshirt on the campus, see, I tell you all that to say this. God has that person out there for you. Listen, don't skip rehab. It is worth it. So a similar calling. Fifthly, I would say, common interests, sports, music, adventurous, a location to live. Like if you're called to the city and he's called to the jungle, there could be some friction there. Seriously. Like these are things you talk about. Can, are they negotiable? Yes, they are. But why not work them out before? Sixthly, passions. Make sure you have passions that are similar. If you have a love for orphans or travel or even kids, listen to me. If you're walking into a marriage relationship and you long to have children and he doesn't, that's cause to pull away and say, Lord, show me. Lord, either show me or show them. Because Lord, I know that you want me to bring children into this world and I want to bring children into this world. I want to raise daughters and sons that are world changers for Jesus. And I know you want me to listen. And if he doesn't want to listen to me, listen to me, mark my words. You'll remember this red flag. Even if chemistry and attraction is there, red flag. Let me tell you why that's important. Let me just say what I do personally. I watch men all the time for potential leaders. I watch men to see the way that they treat children. I watch children when they walk into a room, and I watch whether a man recognizes that child or says, man, get the kids out of here, okay? Just get them out. I watch when a man kneels down and gives a high five to a kid. I watch when a man reaches under and gives a low five to a kid. I watch when a mother walks into a room and a father walks into the room with his kids. And I watch if a man says hi to the father, says hi to the mother, and says hi to the kid. Because they are just as valuable as men and women in our world. And if you're going to be a leader, 
in this world, then you must love as Jesus loved. And Jesus loves the little children of the world. So you have interests and passions. Seventh on this list, it's the one that we want to move to the top. Looks and appearance. Don't settle. There's got to be chemistry and attraction. Now, now hear me out. If you're not attracted to her and there's not chemistry with him, hear me out. Some might not say this, but I'll say it. Don't marry him. Listen to me. Don't marry someone because, well, they have all these other things and it, there'll be a day when I'll be attracted to them. There'll be a day that they, they woohoo! If you're not woohoo! Now, By the way, are you single and available for somebody? <laughs> Lastly, I would say this on the list. Culture and family values are very important. Hear me out. Like, if family's important to you and your family's important to you and, and you love your family, it's important for you to stay connected to your family, and culture is important for you. Like, this is how I do life. These are things that I like to eat. These are things that, that places I like to go. This is the culture that I was raised in. If that's important for you, that could be a non-negotiable. Or it can be a negotiable. So this list has things on it. So let me ask you a question. The things that you're looking for, there is someone that's looking for that in you. And so as you become that person, that person that's looking, that you're looking for is looking for will find you. The Bible also gives us a master list that I would say is the perfect list that you would add to this. And you would actually take that list I just gave you and you would place it on top of this. We must master the qualities of love. 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love casts out all fear. So here, if perfect love casts out all fear, so if you learn to love your mate, then there won't be fear and insecurity in your marriage relationship. And when there's insecurity, it's because you don't have perfect love in that relationship. There is fear. I don't trust him. I, I, I don't, he doesn't protect me. I don't, I'm suspicious of him. When there's suspicion and a lack of trust, it means that there's not perfect love because perfect love casts out fear in relationship. Jesus even said it this way in John 13, 34. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. The word new command, the word new means a strange command, a remarkable command. Master the art of love. And then meet someone cute who has mastered it too and you are good to go. Look what the list is. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. Look what Paul says. Here's the list. Some of you just heard it this weekend at a marriage. Some of you hear it often, like I think of, of, of those that are photographers, Kelly Rassler and Darcy Holsop, well, they could probably do this by memory. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 
8 says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Look at verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What ways? To not walk in love. So look at this list. Love is patient. What's that mean? It is the decision to move at someone else's pace instead of pressuring them to match yours. That's patience. It's the pace of understanding him or understanding her. It's the pace of getting ready for church on Sunday morning and understanding them. It's the pace of eating supper. It's the pace at which you flip through the channels when you're watching it with your wife. It's the pace and patience you have when you're in the driveway and you're ready 30 minutes before she is without hitting the horn. Patience can be choosing to do less than you are capable of for the sake of keeping in step with someone else. Patience can be an expression of submission. Okay. Dudes, we all understand that and all the wives are saying. But there's mutual submission in love. You marry a man that works at a different pace and operates at a different pace than you. You don't say, come back to my pace. You say, hey, let's meet somewhere in the middle because love is mutual submission. Amen? We must be kind. Here's what kindness is. It is to leverage one's strength on behalf of another. We loan our strength to someone who needs it instead of leveraging our strength over them. Kindness is love's response to weakness. Unkindness squelches romance. It's easy to be kind when there's something to be gained. Ladies, hear me out. Look at your potential mate. Watch how he treats those weaker than him. Because at some point, you will be that weak person. Does he care for the underprivileged? Does he have a passion for orphans and widows? Because that's true and faultless religion. Does he leverage his power over people and control them? Or is he kind to them? Kindness is using your power and influence to build up your lady. Then he says, it does not envy, boast, and is not proud. These are all listed together, and they are connected. And at the root, there is an insecurity in all three of these. And by the way, watch out for these, because they manifest themselves in three ways. Through sarcasm. And I'm going to say this again. I don't laugh at sarcasm. Because sarcasm is sin. And you might say, he's so sarcastic. She's so sarcastic. Aren't they funny? 
No, sarcasm is a slow, boiling form of anger. At the root of a sarcastic man or woman is an insecure person who hasn't yet understood their identity in Jesus Christ. Watch out for that, ladies. Another form is criticism and public disrespect. Envy is it won't let you celebrate the success of someone else. If I can't feel good about me, then I will not feel good about you. They will not speak highly of you in public. If someone else gets recognition and achievement in the workplace and is rewarded, that internal response that you feel or they feel is envy. Can you? Let me ask teens that when someone gets that chair, that first chair in music, when someone gets on the cheerleading squad and you don't, when someone gets the A and you've studied hard and you got the C, when the coach puts them in over you, envy is that internal thing that's happening like, I don't like them and I don't like them at all. It does not, it is not proud. Pride causes us to keep our mouths shut when we should be pouring on praise on other people. You want to know when you're prideful? It's when you're scrolling through social media and you see an accomplishment or an achievement of someone or something great that's been done and you can't hit like. But you can get the next one. Like, 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 like. That's pride. Ladies, men and women, listen to me. A prideful person is a critic And ladies, let me tell you, don't marry a critic, someone that's mad at the church, constantly talking about all the things wrong with someone else. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Watch out for the man that after every sporting event, he knows the reason why something didn't work. He is criticizing the coach, criticizing the team, criticizing the mascot. Listen to me, you laugh. There's a pride issue there. He thinks he's right. Watch out for that man. Does, does not dishonor. To honor elevates the interests of others above your own. Take the most precious item you own and consider how you would care for it in the time of a fire. Would you run in the house and save it? Listen, ladies, if your man wouldn't save you first and he would save his 9mm before you, there's problems. Honor defers. Honor says you first. Honor gives way. It's not self-seeking. Here's how I would say this. If you continue to give and give and give, and the person takes and takes and takes, and it's time for you to run and run and run. Not easily angered, which means has the idea not easily provoked or stirred up or riled up. Let me hit the pause button. Ladies, run from a hot-tempered man. Proverbs twenty two twenty four says, don't even associate with a hot-tempered man. Listen to me. If your man, if you watch him and you go to his sporting events and he's screaming and yelling and he's playing softball and he throws the bat and he cusses at the umpire and he's mad or he's in a basketball game and he gets in a fight, if he is easily stirred up or provoked, listen to me, ladies, run. 
Because it will manifest itself. He needs to go into rehab and let God do a work in his heart. But he's so cute when he gets mad. No, he isn't. Love doesn't react, it responds. Keeps no record of wrongs. Let me just say something, ladies. Let me talk from a man's heart. When a woman keeps record, a man wants to run because he thinks he can't win. Am I right, guys? We can't win. If you keep bringing up stuff from the past, like last week that we've asked for forgiveness for, and if you're mad and you say, and another thing, and you know what it is. We think we can't win. You know what happens? Let me tell you what happens. We just give up. You want to know one of the reasons that relationships break up? It's this one right here. Because men are tired of going home and having their wife stand there with the list. Ladies, let me give you a cue from scripture. Build him up. Lift him up. When he comes home, think of something that he's done that day, even if he just got up and went to work and say, thank you. When you greet him at the door, let him know that he can win. Am I right, men? A person can be exactly right and end up exactly alone. Does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It chooses to see the best, believe the best, and overlook the rest. Does this person still hold something against someone and wants you to hate them too? Is he still holding something against or she holding something against a mom, a dad, an ex, a pastor, a boss? Listen to me. Run until rehab has taken place. Paul wraps it up by saying this. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Listen to me, always in front of all those. Always, always, always. Not once in a while hopes, not you hope he protects, not I hope he trusts, not once in a while he perseveres, always. Love does everything to protect the integrity of that relationship. It isn't suspicious and it continues to love when there's no reason to. That's the new command that God gave. Jesus said, I'm gonna give you a new command that you, I'm gonna give you a strange and remarkable command that you love one another. That's unconditional love. That's how you build your list. So you say, wow, that's quite a list. Where can I find him? No, no, not where you can find him. Where do I have work to do? And as soon as you begin to work that out and you become the person you're looking for is looking for, listen to me. That's a collision made in heaven. And God is longing for that to happen. Let me go back and close with where I began. It doesn't matter where you're at in your marriage relationship. It doesn't matter how checkered your past is as a single or how far you've had to allow God's grace to cover you. The good news is this, God's grace will help you become this person, no matter how screwed up your past is. Maybe your marriage needs help because of your poor choices. Listen, that's why Jesus went to the cross, because we need help. And his grace is lavished on us so that we aren't riddled in guilt and shame. He loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Lord, help us today. Help us to see the way 
God, that you love us. I pray, God, that we would become the person that we're looking for, is looking for. And I pray in that process when we fall down that we would be reminded that your grace is lavished on us. It's ridiculous grace. It's, it's extravagant grace. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't rush the process of rehabbing. And God, that we would become the person that we're looking for is looking for so that it's collision made from heaven because too much is at stake to do otherwise. Oh, Lord, we love you, and we're grateful that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.